welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. It's nice to be asked by a few friends who have already become loyal listeners to this little program, a podcast among many podcasts. When am I going to do another episode? I think it's only been about eight days since my last one, and I have to admit that I have been in a bit of a funk. It's a funk that perhaps is leading to this very episode, which I am calling, What Are We Going to Do About It? A kerfuffle has been brewing for a long time within the church, in addition to or in conjunction with the one that has been long brewing in the world itself. The subset has been between self-denominating traditionalist church folk and post-Vatican II Novus Ordo church folk. The percolating battle has both sides a tad self-righteous, as attacks against religion from the secular world, where first principles derive from natural law, from religion itself, are being dismantled and caricatured. As these rise, so does the concomitant theological battle within Catholicism about what the laity, and especially the clergy and its bishops, ought to be doing to stem the spiritual blood loss. And, since ultimately God's kingdom is not of this world, whether it is even worth the effort. The traditionalists expressed to some in the form of the not-sanctioned-by-the-Vatican Society of St. Pius, or the Fraternity of St. Peter, which is in union with the Church, these see the truth in pre-Vatican II form and substance, and have had an uneasy relationship with the priests and people of the post-1965 form and substance. In truth, the substance of both are the same, despite the debates that go on. My observation as one who personally favors ritual and clear, if not authoritative, expression, but one who nonetheless believes that some of the changes wrought by Vatican II, for example, the intentional inclusion of the people in the liturgy itself, is that each side has uncompromising ideas about the other and that the other is absolutely wrong and in extreme terms is not truly Catholic. Each side reminds of the Pharisee who looked with a bit of contempt, or a lot of contempt, at the publican and thanked God he was not like him. In that, I suppose, the divisions over Catholic practice resembles, in less serious terms so far, the political battle between the left and the right, what arguably began as kerfluffles, arising to a kind of apocalyptic peak. We are in a pressure cooker, those of us who are religious and those of us who are not. We are in the middle of a pandemic over which in itself there's a great debate. We have had the death, a violent and immoral death of a suspect at the hands of a police officer against whom there had been many prior complaints for abusive power and excessive force. Then we have had a righteous and, at the same time, a manufactured outrage in the form of protests. Now, protest, of course, is permissible under what used to be one of our agreed-upon principles, that is, freedom of speech. But there's also not-so-permissible harassment, looting, battery, killing, 
a call by manipulators that the outrage be extended in violent terms to buildings and people of faith, especially the Catholic Church, and all these have converged into an urgent form of an old lament. What are the bishops doing about it? The intensification occurred in two areas in the last months. The first, during the coronavirus, which, by the way, is still percolating and seems to be reigniting, when the Catholic Church conceded so readily to its parishes all over the world being closed, thus cutting the faithful off from the sacraments. And then, with the exception of what seemed to be relatively few priests and bishops, not speaking out about what seemed to be a clear-cut inequity related to what did stay open or what got to be reopened as time wore on. The second is still developing as I speak, and that is as statues of historical figures are being ravaged, whether or not they represented any form of historical racism, or even if there was any small imperfection in the response of the figure being represented during the time when the world was accepting of slavery. Despite the fact that in the United States and many in England were unique in seeking the end of slavery. This series of attacks moved into including those who were truly key in the end of the horror of slavery and then and now has moved on to Catholic figures who in the mind of some group or groups failed to adhere to today's vision of morality, which of course they could not, as they lived 200 years or more ago. When the outraged moved into calls for violence against the church itself, some traditionalists with YouTube shows began to engage bishops with platforms and remonstrated with them for not doing anything. A response came from our clerical leaders, or some of them, which others found profoundly unsatisfactory, that is, that the priests and bishops had a job within the church to perform the sacraments, to catechesis, toward providing the laity the tools with which to engage the secular society and bring the gospel to it, and to, I suppose, challenge the attempt to ostracize the faith from the public arena. I admit to having some trouble with what I understood that response to mean, and again, it is trouble that has long loomed in my mind and soul. Our priests and bishops, and even some pontiffs, articulate the dogma of Catholicism as unchanged, which, of course, it is. But their articulation in the real world is manifest with regular exceptions to the dogma and to what is considered sinful in the first instance, such that those, becoming fewer and fewer, adhering to what remains de jure, of the law of God, as it were, have to feel a cognitive dissonance that could truly lead to madness. It seems that de facto, as a matter of fact, overcomes de jure, such that de facto, in an odd switch, becomes de jure. The dogma and what is sin becomes meaningless, academic. It is merely a front for a reality that begins to appear to be the truth. I know, I know. There is a concept that the truth is the truth whether or not people believe it or act upon it. But in a constant state of explicit or implicit brainwashing, even by leaders of our own church, 
that idea itself gets lost. So, for example, I as a layperson am told, and I believe, that anyone who is Catholic who advocates or facilitates the abortion of children is not the kind of position that any Catholic can hold and be Catholic. Simple enough. Except there are many Catholic politicians, prominent ones, who approve, advocate, and promulgate law in the secular realm and preach that abortion is good and reject the fact that it is a murder of children. There seems to be an answer to the question, what can the bishops do about it? What are the bishops going to do about it? The answer is, or it seems to be, to me, to you, that the Catholic politician is not a Catholic in good standing if they take these positions. How do we know what's in their minds? We can't deprive them of something if we don't know what's in their minds. But we do. They say so. They act on it. So what can a bishop do? You cannot receive communion. Sorry, you're welcome to come here. You are welcome to repent and make amends. I am reminded of a scene in the movie Beckett. When Henry II's soldiers act counter to the faith, Beckett enacts the powerful excommunication ceremony with ritual and pomp, including the pounding of his crozier. Clear, certain. The few priests or bishops who have done a far quieter version of reminding Catholics of consequences to their positions contra to unchanging truth, once excoriated by the secular media, have found themselves reprimanded or undercut by diplomatic statements by their own leaders, as if the dogma and the definition of what is a sin did not exist. So here's a case where the bishops can do something, and the laity is not in a position to deal with such egregious realities, even if we are sent to deal with other things. Because our clerical leaders did not say, no, you cannot support abortion, even long before Roe versus Wade, it has become, pardon the expression, the devil to do it now. The church leaders are especially hangdog because, after all, there was the pedophile crisis. It's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. But there is no real problem in condemning pedophile priests at the same time as condemning all forms of sin inside or outside the church. Bishops, priests, and laity all do the wrong things in life. That is the result of a failure of the exercise of free will, to which all of us are heir, but it does not prevent the bishops from saying no to such failures. That funk I've been talking about, I think I've been talking about a funk for the last month and a half, is that I need them to do that, to say the no's, to say what the frames are, quite frankly. Otherwise, my religious sensibilities become mush. I can say to myself that God and my Catholicism require me to live a chaste and moral life in accord with the unchanging principles of the Ten Commandments, of Catholic tradition, of the magisterium. But when a preponderance of people, Catholics, and in my area where I live, virtually everybody tell me day in and day out that the unchanging truths are not in fact unchanging, am I expected to be able to withstand the brainwash? Yes, I am, with grace. We all get grace. But I'm not special. I get afraid. 
I don't have any more or less capacity than another person to grab onto the grace. And so sometimes I find myself just wanting to stay in bed with the covers over my head and to say to myself, well, I can't do what others don't do, so I'm just going to step out of it. When the so-called they we always talk about in the abstract actually come to my church building and tell me that all which I have believed in is an unmitigated fantasy, to which I'd better agree and say, seek to deface a picture of a holy, sainted woman, what do I do? What do the clerical hierarchy advocate that I do? It is only a statue, like a photo in my house of a favorite aunt, though, of course, a model perhaps for my behavior in the world gone mad. I don't want the picture of my aunt defaced and damaged. If all the dogma is in the wink-wink category, then should I not step aside? If that same they come into a church while I am praying and they try to take away the consecrated hosts, does that up the ante? And am I so brainwashed and supported only by marginalized priests and bishops that I will be afraid to stand up and protect the Holy of Holies that is the Eucharist? And so I find myself often joining the clamor that there must be a return to words and actions which are consistent and which are visible and not purely academic. The kingdom is not of this world, but all of us, priest, bishop, and layperson, are tasked to present a unified front to the world, which we are in, but not of. A unified front that proclaims the unchanging truth in a way that doesn't gaslight the faithful and make them susceptible to the brainwash to which I think we Catholics and probably all faithful religious practitioners feel subject and perhaps are subject. So now that I've said all this and begged that our leaders return to the consistent teaching in a sort of, say, enforcement process of the unchanging truths, I realize something obvious, but which in my need for human support, I forgot or pushed away. I have been having a real problem with prayer during this time while I've been at home during the stay-at-home requirements. I had even had trouble going to my church when it was reopened to pray, and I've been feeling oppressed by everything I see and read and the cacophony, even from religious sites, of what needs to be done. What am I going to do? Just seemed an impossible question. The first decade of the Sorrowful Mysteries begins with Jesus in Gethsemane. He is God, who has long presented to the world the unchanging truths of relationship with him, which men have disdained, generating the need for salvation. He has come as man to conquer the sin of Adam, to offer his hand in restoration of the broken relationship. That requires something unthinkable. That is, to allow other men to mock him, humiliate him, beat him, and put him to death on a tree. With the promise and the fact of his resurrection, he is terrified. He sweats blood. He asks that this not be required of him. Nobody is with him. Even his apostles, with one exception, walk away. What, I can imagine him saying to himself, what's the point? They don't care. But he goes forward. What does he ask of us? He asks us to just look at him, no matter what seems to be, all that brainwashing. Just focus on him. It occurred to me as I was going through the decades from the resolution of Christ 
not my will, but thine be done, to the scourging and crowning with thorns by people who had no idea how cruel and misplaced were their actions, to carrying a cross while being mocked by bystanders, to being nailed to a cross, that there is an analogy to what is happening right now that is so discouraging. And in every moment of history, there is such an analogy. In our way, we, me, are walking through our versions of the road to crucifixion. So, in truth, I have been a bit unfair to the bishops and priests. They are consecrated human beings, but they are still human. After all, when Henry VIII declared himself head of the church in England, it wasn't any different, really. Only a few people, two famous, one a layman, Thomas More, and the other a bishop, St. John Fisher, remained faithful to the unchangeability of the truth. I said something earlier that it is all good and well that the truth is the truth, even if no one practices it. And I kind of relieved myself from the obligation, therefore, to stand for it, as I am not better than anyone else. In a way, I relieved us all of that obligation, as if I had the right or capacity to do that. But suddenly, as I was doing the rosary, I remembered he is the truth, and I am focusing on the wrong figures. I need to focus on this decade of the rosary every time I feel discontent or discouraged or despairing. That's what he has always been telling us, hasn't he? And we, me, always run from it. How do I avoid brainwashing? How do I avoid apostasy? No guarantees, of course. But the habit to be developed, particularly now, is to keep my eye on what he did and what it means to follow him. We've heard this since we were children, but somehow, I somehow, pretend it is otherwise. It means that the usual things of the world, the losses, the humiliations, the persecutions, death, natural and unnatural, the things that would exist even were he never to have come, can only be endured, but when they are endured, it is with the recognition that they have been neutralized because of the promise of eternity, well then maybe the rest falls away in anticipation of that which was promised. Will I be able to do that? Well, I know myself fairly well, and I know my moods that go with who I am, so it is likely that I will lose this focus over and over again. But there is something hopeful about the fact that I can remember today and remember this religious aha moment, and that, with the grace I was just a while ago too willing to dismiss, stay the course. Ordinary Catholic me and ordinary Catholic you, together on the same rocky road.